This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 16th of September 2010, the aftermath of the 2010 election. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. G'day, Gihan. How are you doing? I'm happy, Chris. Very happy. How are you? <laughs> I'm relieved, Gihan. <laughs> Why are you relieved? Relieved that we finally have uh, an election result because it was cutting it a bit fine having our podcast on the aftermath of the election and we've only just uh, resolved whether we have a government in the past week or so. That's right. In fact, we have delayed this podcast deliberately. Not that we knew that there was going to be a long delay before the government was announced, but it's lucky that we did because this was we would normally have done this two weeks earlier and it would have been too soon. That's right. Because this is the second of our two-part podcast on the 2010 Australian general election. And in our previous podcast, which was prior to polling day, we spoke about the rather underwhelming campaigns that were waged by the main political contenders. And we focused on uh, primarily their internet and social media campaigns, which were pretty dull and lacklustre, uh, much like the rest of their campaigns and uh, policies as well. But in this second podcast, we're going to discuss uh, the result of the election and focus on internet policies, in particular the National Broadband Network, or NBN as it's sometimes referred to, and uh, internet censorship. Great, great. Let's go for it. Let's, well, uh, what exactly just happened in, the, in, in our most recent general election, Gihan? The end of uh, our previous podcast, you suggested that we entitled part two, uh, The Aftermath, and I kind of laughed in agreement, thought it was a good idea, but I didn't realise how present your suggestion was going to be. The bloodbath. The bloodbath would be much better. <laughs> and that's because uh, the actual result of the 2010 election was a hung parliament. And uh, it turned out that that was exactly one of the predictions by pollster Possum Comitatus, who I referred our listeners to in the previous podcast. And like all good statisticians, he came up with a range of possible outcomes. But uh, the hung parliament was squarely in the middle there, so I think he can uh, look back and uh, give himself a pat on the back for that uh, accurate prediction. I think there's a lot of uh, speculation and maybe even a bit of concern about how the parliament's going to run in the next three years, the Australian parliament. But we've had, we've had experience of that in the last couple of years, Chris, here in Western Australia. We've had a minority government, so there has, there has been a coalition of, um, a coalition that's been formed after the election here in Western Australia. And I think Tasmania has the same situation as well. So it's certainly not unprecedented although it's certainly unprecedented in our lifetimes, for, in our lifetimes at least, for the Australian government, the federal, the federal government. That's right, and uh, New South Wales also uh, has had um, hung parliaments uh, in our lifetimes. So some of the state governments have experienced this, but as you say, the Fed, this is the first time in our lifetimes that uh, we've had a federal government with, uh, with uh, sort of a minority government, isn't it? Exactly, and I'm just curious to see what happens. I know this is a technology podcast, but I'm curious to see from a political and social viewpoint what's going to happen, whether we're actually going to see more open and transparent debate as everyone's been promising, or whether we're just going to be seeing more backroom deals done in order to make sure that legislation gets through. Hope springs eternal, Gihan. 
Designate. So let's uh, kick on to uh, uh, the the election from the point of view of internet policies, and we'll start with the National Broadband Network, the NBN. And when we were discussing internet policy, Gihan, you suggested that issues such as NBN and internet censorship weren't really at the forefront of most voters' minds, and that most of the debate and discussion on such matters were confined to what you called the digerati, so technology-oriented folks such as ourselves. But as it turned out, as a consequence of this uh, hung parliament, the three of the four independents are rural from rural seats, uh, rural electorates, and it turned out that for them, uh, the NBN was one of the more significant factors in determining which party they were going to align themselves. Um, as Tony Windsor from uh, the New, Il- New England electorate put it, uh, in reference to the ALP's policy, he described it as, you build it once, you build it right, and you build it with fibre. Yep, yep, I, I agree that that's certainly what they claimed. <laughs> I'm not convinced that that really was the case and that was the deciding factor. I think there were a number of other things, but that's certainly what they claimed. And, and yeah, it, was quite in, it was quite interesting that, uh, I, I, you know, you said, you said, you quoted me correctly, saying that it wasn't on most voters' minds, but as it turned out, the party that won government was not decided by the voters, but it was decided by these independents. And I'm not suggesting that was wrong. It was what was democratically... Uh, decided by the people. However, it was interesting that some of the policies which weren't on most voters' minds suddenly became more prominent in the two weeks following the election. That's right. As you point out, Kihan, it's just one, the NBN was just one of the factors that uh, they cited as influencing their decision on who to back. Um, Rob Oakeshott had a 30-minute spiel about uh, the sorts of things that influenced his decision. Um, but let's look at the, uh, the ALP's um, NBN. Uh, so they, their idea is that uh, they'll deliver fibre, optical fibre, to the home for 93% of premises. So that means we'll uh, get 100 megabits um, broadband speed. Um, and if you're lucky enough to be one of the first customers, you might even get a peak of one gigabit per second. And uh, it's interesting that during the campaign, they started rolling out stage one of the NBN. It would it took place in Tasmania, and so because there were only a few people using it, they would say, wow, it's actually one gigabit per second, rather than the standard 100 megabits that, um, that you're more likely to experience once you have access to a fibre network. The remaining coverage will be uh, provided by wireless and satellite uh, broadband. And the plan is that it would be rolled out over eight years. As, as I said, it's already started in Tasmania. Um, and the independents have said that they would like to influence that schedule to some degree because they want to make sure that their electorates and other rural areas uh, get uh, their fair share. Or not their fair share, they get, they get service quicker than other, <laughs> than other electorates, perhaps. Uh, the cited cost is uh, $43 billion. Um, with $26 billion coming from the public purse and the remainder from the private sector. The government's going to sell off their 51% stake in the NBN Co. after operating it for 10 years, and the estimate that they've uh, said that they'll get for that is about $30 billion. And another component of it is the idea that Telstra's wholesale and retail divisions will be separated. So rather than having one big conglomerate that uh, does both wholesale of um, telephony and retail, there will be two separate companies doing that. I have a mixed views about this, Chris. I 
first of all, I'm, I want to say that I'm very pleased with the idea that we're going to get fast broadband because we have said, even on the podcast, we've said in the past that Australia is way, way, way behind uh, many other parts of the world in terms of our internet technology. So it's great that we've finally got a plan to have fast broadband. However, I'm pretty sceptical about, I guess I'm sceptical about public service and government delivering this sort of technology and, and delivering it well. I've never had that sort of good experience before with any sort of public service initiative like this. And uh, I guess I've lived my whole adult life having to deal with Telecom Australia and then Telstra as it became. And I just have a feeling that when you set up something like this, it's just going to be like another Telstra. Um, and, you know, there are, even to the day, people are complaining about Telstra customer service over and over and over again, despite the fact that we've now got a largely deregulated market with lots of other competition. It still doesn't seem to have helped to any large extent. Yeah, and I'm similarly sceptical. Uh, some of the debate uh, prior to the election and some of the follow-up that I've seen over the government's estimates of how long are they going to take to deliver this and how much it will actually cost uh, is, uh, well, a little bit optimistic from uh, the, the commentary that I've seen. Um, they got, uh, can you remember the name of the auditing firm they got to uh, to um, go through their estimates and provide those estimates? Yeah, yeah that's right. So they, they first announced it and then they got McKinsey and Company McKinsey. to... To do the audit, and they said 43 billion, and McKinsey's report came out at 42.8 billion. <laughs> so I think there may be a bit of fudging figures there to make. Well, that's exactly right. I think when someone, unfortunately, that report was almost impenetrable. It was massive and poorly uh, laid out, um, so it was difficult to actually scrutinise. But uh, a few have gone to the effort to do so, and when they look at some of the numbers used to provide that 42.8 billion estimate. There are some optimistic uh, calculations with regard to inflation. And there's things like, in order to deliver in eight years, that means that 5,000 homes per day need to be um, brought on stream. So that, that kind of timeline is extremely optimistic as well. Yeah, uh, and also... Oh, sorry. Go on, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say also, even in the initial rollout in Tasmania, where they made it very attractive to Tasmanians to sign up. So... The NBN Co., which would normally charge a wholesale rate to an ISP, who would then add on their little profit margin and then on sell it to the customer, for that initial rollout, they were NBN Co. was offer, was waiving the fee, their fee, so that the ISP could offer it at a highly, you know, like a really subsidised rate. And even then, I think only 50% of the homes who had who could get it got access to it when they were they were planning on 90% even at full fee. Right, yes, and, and that's another aspect, Gihan, is, is the actual cost. So at the moment, I think the wholesale rate that Telstra charges for copper ADSL is about 25 bucks a customer, and they're estimating that in order for the NBN to be financially viable, it needs to, because they're going to sell it off at the end and it needs to be, needs to be viable, they reckon that it'll, it'll cost more than that, so customers will will have to fork out more in order to um, gain access to the NBN. And so, while on the one hand, there's, that means you've got some competition between the two networks, which is a good thing, the other thing is that the NBN might not be financially viable and needs a bailout from us, or uh, you know, so the, gov the government can't sell it off. Yeah, and I think also I should make the point that from my point of view I've been criticising it, but there's some very good, there's some benefits to having very fast internet broadband. And... I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. 
but I do want to say that you know, for, for most customers, they won't need that sort of level of access. Um, I mean, it's nice when you get it to realize what you can do. So you can watch TV without any sort of delays, for example, or you can do e-learning and video conferencing and telecommuting and all those sort of things. However, for, I think for the majority of people, they won't need that and they won't use it, so they might balk at paying the extra fees to get access to it. And if most people don't have access to it, a lot of the advantages of having the technology go away. As we've talked about in the past, Chris, part of the value of this whole Web 2.0 philosophy is the fact that lots and lots of people are using it. So if only a handful of people were updating Wikipedia, it would become very unreliable because it would suddenly become very biased. But it's, it's a fact that a lot of people are doing it that makes it useful. That's right. And one of the things that the problems that we face at the moment is just that the copper ADSL network is rotting in the ground. Telstra aren't doing much to maintain and look after it. Are routinely Every winter, when uh, moisture gets into the pits that uh, hold the network, every winter I need to contact my ISP and I have to wind back the speed of my connection because there's too much interference on, on the line and it can't sustain the speeds that I normally enjoy. So all these reliability issues that we have with existing ADSL uh, hopefully will be dealt with by replacing that with a new network how long it will take for the NBN code to similarly uh, allow the network to degrade, I don't know. But uh, there certainly are big advantages to replacing uh, the copper ADSL network with an optic fibre network. But there are a lot of problems with the economics of it. There's been no thorough and proper cost-benefit analysis. And the government's defence of that has been, well, some of the benefits are difficult to foresee, and even those that we can foresee, it's difficult to port a dollar amount on and come up with an accurate uh, uh, an accurate value for that benefit. But nonetheless, it hasn't been done. It hasn't been done. A few independents have tried it. Uh, so we really don't know whether we're going to end up with what the coalition described as a white elephant, I doubt it, or whether it's going to pay for itself in spades. Yeah, look, and I totally agree with the government's um, defence of saying that we don't know what the benefits are and we can't know until we actually get get it in action and we see what people do with it in innovative ways. Um, that doesn't necessarily justify the $43 billion cost, but I do agree with that philosophy and that sentiment. Um, and I, th I think we should also remember that when that money was set aside by Kevin Rudd when he announced it, it was part of the economic stimulus package. It wasn't necessarily a, a business case for wiring up Australia. It was to provide jobs and to provide an economic a boost at the time when we were thought that we might be going into recession. So it wasn't really set up as a proper, properly funded and proper, properly considered business case. It was simply something that was going to be a jab in the arm for the Australian economy. Yeah, yeah. Shall we move on to the coalition's NBN? They haven't called it an NBN, but we'll refer to it as that uh, yeah. for the sake of argument. So in response to that, during the election, the coalition uh, came up with their own national broadband network policy. So I feel they kind of painted themselves into a corner by describing the ALP's um, fibre-to-the-home plan as a white elephant, so expensive and kind of useless. So the alternative they came up with was, going to, was cheaper and didn't involve delivering fibre-to-the-home, but rather it was going to be about extending the existing copper broadband network because they argued that no-one needs 100 megabits. We can all make do with existing service levels of... Uh, peak speeds of at least 12 megabits, which is what we have at the moment. 
um, and then also extending wireless coverage to outlying metropolitan and regional areas. So the the coverage they were going to give was 97% of premises would get um, ADSL2 level um, broadband, and then the remaining 3% would have um, access to um, satellite coverage, so rural areas. And the price tag for that uh, was $6.25 billion from a mixture of public and private um, expenditure. I don't know how thoroughly anyone scrutinised their numbers, but like all election promises, I'm sure that uh, uh, those numbers were probably as dodgy as the ALPs. <laughs> Um, the, uh, so they were going to spend two and three quarter billion on funding of an open access optic fibre backhaul network. So that's not fibre to the home. That's kind of like the main trunk of um, the internet throughout Australia to which things like the copper ADSL network would connect. And then there was going to be three quarters of a billion on fixed broadband optimization, which meant upgrading existing telephone exchanges that didn't already have ADSL two services on them. So that was about, I think it was about 800 exchanges aren't um, ADSL2 ready at this stage. So the vast majority already are. And then a couple of billion was going to be spent on ex of providing uh, wireless access to rural and remote regions and also um, outlying metropolitan areas. Uh, that, that last point is interesting because one of my colleagues, uh, he uh, lives in an outer suburb of Brisbane, and he hasn't got ADSL2, and he, like me, uh, works for a client in the UK. He uses a VPN um, to access um, the intranet in the UK. And how he manages on um, ADSL1, which is kind of like a one megabit connection, I really don't know. I think, I think I'm suffering with uh, my patchy uh, six megabit connection, but uh, Jim must be, <laughs> must be, he's in a worse boat. So I'm sure providing access to outlying metropolitan areas and to regional areas is a, a, an important thing to be considered. Yeah, look, and, and just as a side comment, Chris, you were talking about the fact, you are just saying, how can somebody manage on a one megabit per second connection? And yet you and I remember the old, the dim dark days when we were talking about 56K. So what's that, 0.05 Megabit, so is it point zero zero five, and so that's I guess that supports the ALP's idea that you know once we start getting faster connections, we'll start thinking more about them, and we'll start we'll start thinking how could we have ever done without them. That's exactly right, Kehan. So back in the dial-up days, as 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 they were, there was no way I could use a VPN, which is a virtual private network, which means I can use the public internet to securely access uh, private resources on an intranet on the other side of the planet. So. By having broadband, I was able to make use of VPN technology. And once we go to 100 megabits connections, then all kinds of new possibilities uh, are opened up to me and everyone else who has access to that network. Yeah, exactly right. I also think one of the things that you've just, like you've just outlined, the, the, the quantities, uh, the, the coalition's plan was $6 billion. The ALP's plan is 43, which I think is probably going to blow out to about 60. So there's an order of magnitude of difference there. And you might, and I think the general public has looked at that and go, wow, the, the Labour Party is much more serious about uh, an internet broadband connection and wiring up Australia. And yet, I think that those two things really do give one really strong, stark example of the difference, the ideological difference between the two parties, that the ALP are very much about government providing services and the coalition is about facilitating the private sector providing those services. So it's not surprising that the coalition's policy requires a lot, lot, lot 
less public funding as long as they say that business and industry is going to come in and fill the, fill the gap, fill the void. Yeah. And there was a third way, wasn't there, Gihan, that was um, announced during the election by an affiliate, uh, affiliation of um, internet entrepreneurs. I think they called themselves the... Uh, what did they call themselves? Oh, I can't remember now, but I, I know what you're talking about. These telcos have got together. I, th- I think it was in the week after the election when the independents or when both sides were wooing the, the independents and I think uh, the coalition, Tony Abbott, picked up on this and goes, look, this is exactly what we've been talking about and it's, we don't need to spend the $43 billion. The telcos are on our side. They're saying exactly the same thing. They had large emphasis on, a, on wireless rather than broadband through cable. Exactly. They were, um, I think they called themselves the Coalition for Affordable Broadband Access, something like that. Although, I mean, they, they, uh, they said that they they sort of distance themselves from the coalition's plan because the emphasis of the coalition's plan is extending the copper ADSL network. About a third of it will be spent on wireless, whereas these guys were talking about next-generation genera- wireless, and they are primarily um, associated with companies who are delivering uh, um, wireless broadband at the moment. So it's a little bit self-serving. They wanted to, to change the focus of the national broadband network from wired to wireless and it has some merit, but there's, it's going to be a long time before wireless broadband is going to be able to deliver the kinds of uh, speeds that optical fibre can deliver now. So it really is a next-generation plan, and maybe in 10 years' time we'll have things like WiMAX that can give us 100 megabits per second. But at the moment, we do have a WiMAX um, network in Perth, as it happens. A, a company called Vivid Wireless um, provides that, but it's more like existing copper ADSL speeds, so it's the same as what we already have, and it's it's not going to deliver 100 megabits for well until the next generation comes along. But nonetheless, it uh, was worthy of consideration, and again, it was more like the coalition's plan in that it didn't involve a lot of public expenditure; it was based on um, a private sector delivering it. Yep, and I would hope that it takes less than 10 years. I'd hope that the technology would increase faster than that, um, just given the rate of growth that we've seen so far. And I'd love to see that we have a, we have Australia a wired through wireless means. It'll be, it'll be good, and I think it'll be important that we have that because one of the, one of the drawbacks of the NBN Co is that they might have no competition and they'll just turn into another Telstra. They won't see the need to maintain their network. It will degrade over time. Um, but if they've got some competition from the likes of wireless broadband providers, then that might keep them honest. Might keep them honest. Yeah, it might indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so we spent most of our time talking about the NBN, which is, I think, the, the biggest issue that is there to talk about. And I guess the second one, which was probably the bigger hot potato before the election, was the internet censorship issue. And I guess we haven't talked about that as much, and we're not going to talk about it as much, perhaps because it's going away. What do you think, Chris? Well, there's a mixture of good news and bad news, Gihan. But first, the bad news is that uh, the internet villain of 2009, Senator Stephen Conroy, has retained his, his place in the Senate. First bit of bad news. Second bit of bad news. <laughs> yes. He's retained his portfolio of uh, broadband communications in the digital economy. Uh, that is uh, 
rewarding bad behaviour, if you ask me. <laughs> but the good news is that if the ALP's censorship policy was had little chance of being passed by the previous parliament because they didn't have the numbers in the Senate, then they've got even less chance of it being passed in uh, the new parliament because neither the Greens nor independent Rob Oakeshott have said they will back the legislation. So even though the Greens MP and Rob Oakeshott have aligned themselves with the ALP in the lower house, it doesn't give them a rubber stamp on every piece of legislation. It's only things, um, only bits of legislation related to uh, supply, so a treasury, and um, no confidence motions. Yeah, so they're basically promised that they're not going to bring the government down, but they're going to remain independent for every other for every other issue that comes up. That's right. So effectively, internet censorship is dead in the water. So you'd think uh, Senator Stephen Conroy would admit defeat and give up, but he seems to be persisting. He's uh, pushing ahead with um, uh, reviewing the refused classification material that uh, forms the core of the sort of thing that this proposed censorship is going to target. Um, but I think he's just going through the motions now, tra- trying to put on a brave face. But I don't think we'll be seeing internet censorship in this parliament, and hopefully we won't be seeing it in any future parliament either. Yep, I, I agree with you, Chris. I think that they're looking for a way that they can have a face-saving back down of it. And um, in a way, like I really don't mind that Conroy has retained his place. I would have been happy for him to go, but I just think that he's just keeping a seat warm for the next three years. I, I, really, I do believe even this early, that there will be a change of government next time. I saw one pundit suggesting that whoever wins this time would lose the next time. So it might might be a poison chalice winning this hung parliament. So I just think that nothing's going to happen for the next three years and then he'll be gone. Fingers crossed. <laughs> it's a little bit of a pity for Australia in terms of where we're going to progress with the internet in, three years, uh, in the next three years because I, I think he's... He's not only being, I mean, we, we think that the whole censorship legislation was bad for Australia, but they also haven't proposed anything that's good. And so I think we might just be treading water for three years. So that's a little bit of a pity. But if that's the best that we, that we get, that's okay. I'm willing to live with that. So there are some other internet policies that we won't talk about in detail, aren't there, Gihan, that uh, Conroy is responsible for. Yeah, and exa- exactly. And so there are these other issues that, that are really important that government should be taking a proactive stance on, which I don't think much is going to happen in the next three years. But things like, and I, I saw an article in a newspaper recently talking about business demanding changes from, changes or even just attention from the current government with things like, and let me just quote some of the things they said, copyright, Spectrum allocation, which is how the broadband spectrum is uh, is allocated, uh, with things like I think that talks about things like digital TV, digital radio, things like that as well. Ownership rules, um, and I think again we're talking about big media ownership there. Digital radio in cars. This there's a weird concept which we might talk about in the future, and 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 actually even even separating some of the tells some of the tells for bits here and there. So they're things that. According to this article, there's some of the issues that executives say should be examined by the Gillard government, and we'll just see whether they, they are in fact examined. And if they do, we'll talk about them in focal point. That's exactly right, Gihan. So stay tuned, and we'll have another podcast for people. So in a month's time, we'll be speaking again, and we hope our listeners can tune in then. Great. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. 
Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.